We will start today with a new session about uh, fintech innovation in the Arab world. So with impact of COVID-19, it has forced us to change all. Consumers were previously resistant to using payment channels, mobile, websites, and others. They discovered today with purchasing goods and services on their smartphones is not only easy, but actually very convenient and safe. So Visa conducted a survey on the impact of COVID-2019 pandemic on payment behaviors of users and consumers in the UAE. 43% of the consumers surveyed believe they will continue using the contactless payments more and more in the store post the pandemic. And 48% of the users said they will continue to opt for more payment online with cards and of course, today, there's a new term, digital wallet. 82% of the Middle East banking consumers surveyed are willing to start using fintech solutions. But however, 22% of them are only part of the solutions that are actually being used. There's a significant growth potential to address this gap between the 82% and the 22%. The use of fintechs today, we all know it. The benefits are greater convenience, more personalized services, advanced security, lower cost, financial inclusion, and so on and so on. Between the year of 2015 and 2020, the Middle East fintech sector received more than $237 million. And based on the 29 estimates, the industry is expected to climb by 230% by year 2020. Now with the COVID, we have to see what are the changes. And we know today to reach the full potential of anything, especially in the payment terms, we need the regulators, we need the hubs, we need the ecosystem to actually start working all together. So with that, let me introduce our speakers. So my name is Rudy Shushani. I'm the host and the moderator. My specialty is ICT governance, cybersecurity, and digital transformation in the fintech world. So today's topic is fintech innovations in the Arab world. And I will introduce our first speaker, uh, Mrs. Raja Al-Mazroui, Executive Vice President, DIFC Fintech Hive, Board Member, Dubai Fintech Venture. Our second speaker, Nuha Shakir, Secretary General of the Egyptian Fintech Association, Vice President of the Africa Fintech Network. Mirna Sleiman, Founder and CEO, Fintech Galaxy. Namir Khan, Chairman, Founding Member, of MENA Fintech Association and Mohamed Sabuni, Managing Director of Fintech Dubai and Startup Bootcamp. So today, one last slide and then we will start. The annual number of deals and the investments that are put in our region is growing year by year. So since 2015 to the day, we've seen a growth, a big growth in investment, especially in the year 2017, and hopefully we'll see more growth. And we will still waiting for more numbers on the 2020 year, the year of COVID and year of disruption. What's going to be the numbers? Are they investment? We've heard there's many investments happening. We just need the numbers and hopefully our region can benefit altogether. With that, I will start with my first speaker. Uh, Raja, I'll take the first question with you. In correlation with all that has been said about, His Excellency Sheikh Mohammed bin Rashid Al Maktoum, Vice President and Prime Minister of UAE and ruler of Dubai, announced the UAE strategy of the future, a comprehensive roadmap that will take the nation on the next era of development. First, do introduce yourself. And secondly, what is the mission and role of FinTech Hive in Dubai and correlation of the UAE strategy in the Arab region? 
Thank you, Rudy, for uh, having me today. I am, it's my pleasure to be with all of you and my amazing colleagues from the industry. First of all, I'd like to introduce myself. My name is Rajal Mazroui. I'm the Executive Vice President for the IFC Fintech Hive. Fintech Hive is the first and largest fintech accelerator in the region. We started back in 2017 as an accelerator program. And to date, we've accelerated more than 100 companies through our different programs. We've engaged in more than 65 proof of concept across different uh, programs and launched more than 25 products in the market. Our fintech startups have raised to date more than $150 million in uh, funding. And uh, we are focused on developing the ecosystem for the fintech industry in the region, where we look for participation between the private and the public uh, sectors, looking for opportunities to support the fintech startups to grow and scale in the region with the support of uh, venture capital firms, investment funds, business opportunities through our financial institution uh, partners. Now, going back to your question, in the year 2014, His Highness Sheikh Mohammed bin Rashid, the Prime Minister of the UAE, announced the year as the year of innovation. Year of innovation was a strategy that was uh, launched across the whole UAE and the uh, federal and local government departments, including the DIFC. At that time, uh, the question was asked, how do we disrupt ourselves? How do we become better? How do we transform the sectors that we are in charge of uh, leading today? And that translated into uh, lots of initiatives, including uh, the launch of Smart Dubai, which is a government entity that is looking at digitizing the transactions of local uh, government department within Dubai and launch of the future accelerators from the uh, prime minister office and also a lot of accelerators launched in, uh, in Dubai specifically looking at DTEC or um, the future accelerators and the government accelerator. When you look at the financial services sector, the DIFC is the leading financial center in the region. And we looked at a strategy of transforming the financial services sector and also to explore the future of financial services. And at that time, the fintech was evident to be a game changer. And this is why um, the DIFC launched the Fintech Hive as an initiative to look at the opportunities of collaboration between the financial institutions with tech startups that could help them transform the uh, sector. We launched the first program in 2017 with 11 startups. 2018, we had 22. And 2019, we had more than 30 startups join our program. And most of our startups are either uh, based in the DIFC right now because they've landed business opportunities through our partners or scaling in other neighboring markets where they were able to uh, export the uh, knowledge, the regulation, and the um, uh, access to funding to scale through these uh, markets. Thank you. Very interesting. There's a big initiative uh, with the DIFC and the strategy uh, that was put uh, forward by His Excellency and with uh, what with the things that you are uh, also in charge with in this fintech hive, I'll take the second question. Nuha, please uh, introduce yourself and please also introduce Egyptian fintech association and what is its role in the Egypt strategy or Egypt economy. Thank you very much, Rudy. Good evening, everyone. Thank you very much for being with us. My name is Nuha Shaker. I'm the secretary general of the Egyptian fintech association and uh, a founding member and the elected vice president for. Africa Fentech Network, which is the union of Fentech associations uh, across Africa. What do we do? 
we are Egypt's first and only not-for-profit that is major role is to build, nurture, and grow that ecosystem of support for fintechs to serve financial inclusion. We work on policy advocacy to make sure that we have the right regulatory frameworks in place that enables fintechs. We work with the incumbent banks, insurance companies, and microfinance agencies and the rest of financial industry service providers. We work on their internal and open innovation strategies to make sure that we can support collaboration between the fintechs and the incumbents. We work on awareness and education, whether that awareness and education is for the general public, promoting for uh, fintech use cases to support fintechs when they launch their businesses or on uh, the side of uh, incumbent companies and financial institutions to change the corporate culture into a more welcoming corporate culture. We've worked with the Central Bank of Egypt, the financial regulatory authorities on launching uh, recently uh, fintech laws that enables multiple innovative use cases that can be launched uh, in the country to support the unbanked and the underbanked to offer access to financial services to uh, most of the population that hasn't been served by the financial institutions we have on the ground yet. We uh, design and enroll uh, private partnerships serve our uh, objectives, which are mainly the promoting innovation industry, supporting and growing fintechs and the nurturing ecosystem, as well as promoting for uh, partnerships with between fintechs and incumbent financial institutions. And the African uh, Union does exactly the same in 34 African countries serving the exact same object. Thank you, Rui. Thank you. Uh, thank you. Ask now Mirna. Mirna, uh, please introduce yourself further and also introduce for us Fintan Galaxy. Then later on, we're going to be some uh, having some great use cases that you have been involved in, discuss them further more later on. Mirna, please. Uh, thank you, Rudy, and uh, thanks all for having me today. Uh, my name is Mirna Sleiman, and I'm the founder and uh, CEO of Fintech Galaxy. We are three years old, based out of Dubai, but actually we are we are in the virtual space, uh, covering the whole region. What we do is basically we we have realized that the region is quite disconnected, the ecosystem, not only in terms of geographies, but also in terms of pillars. And um, we've set up Fintech Galaxy to bring everybody together into one open innovation platform that does three main things. The first one is um, promotes open innovation, collaboration between banks and fintechs through hackathons, challenges, uh, programs. We also have a fintech marketplace with more than 1,200 fintechs so far in our community. And of course, all the training events and everything. And the third thing, which is the most important part is the API platform which is called Phoenix 22. Now, the API platform um, basically helps fintechs connect to an API sandbox with more than 300 APIs from global, with global standards with five uh, data sets from Saudi, UAE, Egypt, Bahrain, and Jordan. Uh, and this sandbox is free of charge for any startup or any entrepreneur that wants to build a prototype 
anybody who wants to test their technology using data and APIs from the market. On the other side, we're onboarding banks, connecting the banks to this platform and uh, making sure that banks uh, publish their APIs so that fintechs can use those APIs and produce some really good uh, solutions. So that's that's the um, the Phoenix twenty two in a in a nutshell, and that's what um, Fintech Galaxy does. We've done more than twenty five uh, hackathons and challenges so far. We work closely with regulators in Egypt, Saudi, Bahrain, uh, UAE, Jordan, Iraq, and yeah, we work with almost every single fintech association across the region and also global associations. More than we have more than fifteen partnerships with global associations. Thank you, Mina. Uh, Namir, please introduce yourself and what is the role of FinTech Mina Association? Thank you, Rudy, number one, for having me over. Uh, always a pleasure to be along with all of our superstar colleagues over here. And hi to everyone from different places from the region. Uh, so I'm from the Mina FinTech Association, as mentioned by Rudy. And uh, what we typically do, I'll just uh, frame it up in a very short way. MENA Fintech Association is more towards bridging the gap between the regulators, the policymakers, and the fintech community you know, on, on, a, on a large basis itself. Now, that basically includes, uh, when we're talking about policymakers, we're looking into, you know, we're looking to bring the, you know, bring the regulations into place where the fintechs are able to prosper at the same time, the environment is conducive, because eventually, in the end, uh, regulations need to be in place for, for fintechs to be able to operate seamlessly in the system and to be also able to raise. So policy making and policy advocacy is something that we, we closely focus and work on. Uh, one of the things that we're currently working on is certainly on the open banking vision that's focused on open banking on the in, in the Arab and the, and the MENA region itself. Similarly, we have other verticals that we are currently engaged in working on. The reason is that uh, eventually the regulators are, are responsible to, you know, to protect the customers right. But simultaneously, at the same time, we have, as, as Mirna mentioned, she has multiple use cases that she has already engaged into. And, uh, you know, Fintech Hive has been aggressively working on multiple Fintech initiatives as well. So largely what happens is that disruptors are coming in and policymakers need to be aligned with that. Uh, the other thing that we also do is the community dialogue, because you need to engage the community dialogue to be able to uh, bring those policies and bring those regulations in place. To bring that community dialogue, it is once again imperative and pivotal for the, the community itself to come on a one single common page and what typically needs to be done and addressed, specific to key verticals that could be on the digital KYC, that could be on open banking, that could be on robo-advisory. So there needs to be a common page that everyone needs to align to. And then, of course, after that, be able to address that. So uh, community engagement, policy advocacy. Um, the other thing that we're currently working with the with the federal government on right now is talent. So that's uh, currently in place too. So yes, that's in a nutshell what Mina Fintech Association is currently doing and uh, there's more to come. Thank you for that, uh, Namir. And I'm sure the collaboration between all of these Arab states and uh, specifically in the Mina have a big mission <laughs> to get them all together. Mostly, uh, all of you uh, will be on this mission. Mohammed, also please introduce yourself and tell us more about Startup Bootcamp. Sure. Thank you, Rudy. So, um, <clears throat> I'm currently the managing director for the Startup Bootcamp FinTech Accelerator here in Dubai. So, the program is sponsored by the IFC, by Visa, and by Mashrik Bank. And uh, we're currently we're going to start our cohort number three next month. So by mid-November, we just we just finalized the selection for the last 10, com- for this cohort's 10 companies and we're starting uh, next month. 
so um, Startup Bootcamp, uh, we've been around since 2010. Uh, basically, what we do is we run uh, sector-focused accelerators around the globe. I think we're present now in about 27 countries. Uh, overall, internationally, we have about a thousand startups in, uh, across the different verticals. Uh, specifically, with the survival rate about of about 80% over the 80% of over the last 10 years. So, specifically in the MENA, we just crossed uh, the 100 startups in the region uh, in our portfolio. About 40 to 50% are active actually in the fintech space. So between here and Cairo, we have, uh, I think, about four or five cohorts that are focused on fintech. We also do everything from uh, in the region, from Qatar sports, from sports tech, from uh, to Dubai Smart City. So we ran these programs previously. Overall, what we offer the startups and specifically with our partners here in Dubai uh, is access to the market uh, into UAE, Saudi and the region in general, help them come in and set up in the IFC support them in their initial validation their their with the fundraising with the access to market in general and that's it i mean uh, plus we help them run pocs proof of concepts with all our partners and uh, help them establish here basically uh, thank you Mohammed. Uh, raja i'm gonna ask you about the women in fintech they are sh- reshaping the industry today what message would you give to the women in the region what power message did you give them? Rudy, obviously, uh, the fintech uh, sector so far is dominated by my uh, female colleagues. And uh, I think the opportunity for women to make an impact on the sector is, um, is huge because it requires a certain skill of understanding the technology and the financial services and in some supporting uh, roles. And in this particular region, we see uh, lots of initiatives that uh, support women to grow and develop, whether from talent perspective or from funding perspective. We can see some VC funds that invest specifically in female co-founded businesses we see uh, female-focused acceleration uh, programs like the program we run at the DIRC Fintech Hive, Accelerator, where we look at uh, female talent from the financial services sector, introduce them to the fintech sector in general, introduce them to the uh, fintech startups to understand the opportunities or the impact that they can create by either taking on innovation and technology roles within their organizations, or maybe partner with uh, uh, other partners and launch their own uh, tech startups. We saw how COVID accelerated the digital transformation of all sectors, and we got very comfortable with technology, which is very evident when you look at uh, how many business ideas were launched um, from home during the uh, pandemic. And having access to the regulation, to ecosystems that support the development, the funding, the regulation of these technologies really makes it easy for anyone to access this particular opportunity. However, women have this additional focus and support from a strong ecosystem that really understands the impact they uh, add and the value they add into any business. I'm sure you have a great mission again. uh, And uh, the women in in the region, they're still playing a big role and there's still a big role to play. Uh, And hopefully this will be bridged soon, uh, not just by the unbanking the bank, uh, the unbanked people, also uh, the woman part. Namir, question, what do you think will happen to the partnership between banks and fintechs in post-COVID-2019? Uh, it's a good question. Uh, or was going to be, 
or there's going to be a bigger gap so i think i mean i'm looking at the market closely right now um i i look at the fintech engagement in two forms one form is one fintechs one form of fintech is basically those form of fintechs that are challenging the banks completely right so you have digital banking players coming into play and they are the ones who are going to be completely challenging the overall digital banking space over here and not just in the uae but definitely into the other key developed markets as well and even uh, looking into emerging markets too same is the case now the other form of fintechs are those fintechs who are going to empower the banks right so the ic2 form of fintechs so the one that are the ones that are basically empowering the banks uh, certainly uh, there are more more avenues for them to partner with them so eventually why would you need to partner with the bank as well is uh, it boils down to the regulatory piece as well so specifically if you're operating into a fintech you know vertical that requires you to operate or piggyback on a bank's banking license then you have no chance but to partner with the bank so partnerships are happening so for example you do have you know kareem for example is launching the super app and the loan they're launching their uh, card as well just a small example eventually by the by the end of the day what you know what happened is that if they're launching a card they must be having a you know been sponsorship at the back so then you have to you have to partner with the bank typically right so partnerships with bank will continue to happen but that depends typically of what sort of a fintech uh, is it now uh, second thing is that like i said the the fintech that empowering the banks to become you know more open like, let's say you have banks who are now looking openly and keenly looking in for solutions to be able to become a lot more relevant and you know then you have platforms like uh, mirna's platform pinx22 as you mentioned that enables the banks to be able to connect with the fintechs at the same time be able to be a lot more open now why banks need to be able to do that is because then you have the larger players like the tech players who are entering into the financial services landscape right so eventually if the banks would not be able to do that if they would not open up if they would not work with the likes of these of, of these fintechs and typically the super apps and these technology players eventually will uh, end up taking the space so it's it's uh, i think it's a win-win proposition for fintechs from both the angles one is the ones that are empowering because the banks need them because banks are too large enough to be able to do this on their own right at the same time the ones that are challenging is an open space for them right but once again if you are challenging the banks then you need to have access to capital itself and all of those things so eventually the the gap for the customer is going to be reduced for multiple uh, for multiple needs we may be an overbanked you know market itself right mina and at the same time we are an underbanked market too but what we do have an oversupply of connectivity so eventually the customer is eventually going to win in terms of the overall uh, fintech race and the gap is definitely going to be not increased uh, but certainly it's going to be shortened as well with the key initiatives that are coming in so like i said two side two types one is empowering and the other other is challenging both the ways uh fintechs have a win-win proposition thank you namir and i'm sure they do and this is second part possibly of the next stage next phase of uh, fintechs uh, game now by the way it's not going to be easy just let you know uh, you know it, it may sound easier it's easier said than done right so uh, it's not it's not it's not an easy journey when you're especially engaging with the banks simultaneously it's not easy when you are dealing with regulations uh, specifically to our region so fintechs need to be extremely well versed with that and that's where key platforms uh, who are facilitating this will play 
a pivotal role to be able to connect uh, the fintech to the banks and of course be able to execute yeah i think also the uh, regulators part is much needed mirna let me ask you a question you have introduced an innovation today in our uh, region in coordination with digital lab of bahrain can you tell us more about this initiative uh, finhub 973 and what's the impact of it on the ecosystem okay sure so um building on what namir said regarding this collaboration see it's um it's a very, very complex phenomenon. Number one, banks and fintechs speak different languages. Second, regulations are very tough. I mean, regulators are a very tough stakeholder to deal with, to manage, and to comply with. And even when you bring everybody together, the technology doesn't really help you to do that connectivity. So we wanted to close the loop, and we wanted to move the region from talking into actually executing. So over the past three years, we've been trying to educate the market. We've been trying to run hackathons and challenges. But maybe out of the 25 uh, hackathons and challenges that we've done, only three of them reached POC level and even maybe one only went to the market. Um, and that's made us realize that um, after the, uh, all the, this uh, you know, celebration and uh, graduating from accelerators and all the programs, the actual collaboration be- between banks and fintechs is uh, a rare commodity. It's really not happening. And we wanted to solve the problem. Uh, first of all, we wanted to, to bring to the market a platform that can uh, bridge this gap from a technology perspective. And second is to do it under the supervision of a central bank. Now, why the central bank, because central bank is the regulatory authority that makes things happen or not, okay? And even fintechs that don't need licensing, it's always good to get the regulatory uh, blessing from from a central bank that will make the banks and the market feel much more comfortable dealing with this fintech. And when it comes to the interaction or the integration between the banks and fintechs, Imagine from a bank's perspective, okay, let's let's take a banker's perspective. Banks want to collaborate with a fintech. They need to go and speak with 50 fintechs every month. They need to shortlist 10 that are really good to talk to. Then they need to do all this API documentation and find out what, uh, are they ready? Are they not? What kind of uh, APIs do you need to connect? What's the language that the fintech uh, you, uh, speaks? What technology do they have? Core banking. All of that is a lot of time and effort. So what we brought to the table, and and uh, and that's Phoenix Twenty Two basically, is you bring the fintechs and you bring the fintechs, plug them into one platform, API Gateway, and then invite the banks on the other side to connect with this platform. Now we we faced one issue, which is okay, you need a regulatory environment, and that's where Bahrain uh, FinHub Nine Seventy Three came to the picture, uh, launched along with the Central Bank of Bahrain a platform that, number one, has the regulatory oversight of a central bank. And the beauty about Bahrain is they have every single regulator under the same umbrella. You know, it's one central bank. They regulate um, onshore, offshore, um, stock markets, uh, funds, banks, remittances. I mean, everything under one regulator. Number two, they have open banking laws, which allows banks and fintechs to collaborate. And number three, they are a very modern regulator and uh, really easy to, to work with. And number four, which is very important, they actually managed to bring the banks on board. Okay, So we ended up having a platform, <clears throat> which is an upgraded version of Phoenix 22, that has the uh, regulator's uh, supervision, 
all the open banking standards integrated into the platform, all the compliance, all the governance, everything in there. We also had five or six banks connected to the platform. And we have the fintechs on the other side. So now what we really need to do is just to make sure that the platform manages that collaboration. We are enrolling around three or four fintechs now to take them through the journey end to end. At the end of the day, and starting 2021, like January or something, any fintech can go into the platform. They can go through a virtual acceleration. They don't even need to be in Bahrain. They can go through a virtual acceleration. Then they get the regulatory nod to go and connect to the banks. They plug and play and commercialization happens. This is the idea behind uh, FinHub 973. Thank you. Raja, question, what's the impact of the fintech hive on the UAE economy and all of this happening? And what's the plan post-COVID-19? I know because there's a lot of changes in the strategy. I'm sure you have faced them now. What's What's going to happen? What's the restructuring? What's the strategizing for the post-COVID and maybe for the 2021 year ahead of us? So obviously, uh, when DIFC looked at uh, fintech as an industry, uh, DIFC believed in the power of these startups and uh, realized that we need to create an environment that is enabling for these startups to be able to get commercial licenses, access to co-working spaces, access to business opportunities, and so forth. So uh, most of the startups that joined the program eventually uh, were able to get the fintech license from the DIFC. And I want to mention that this is a subsidized license at uh, $1,500. And this was put in specifically to support the fintech startups to get started within their journey. As I mentioned, through our different programs, uh, we've accelerated more than 100 startups. But today... Other than the programs, we have 200 fintech startups registered in the DIFC. And these 200 fintech startups are all engaged with business opportunities, with financial institutions. They are recruiting talent from uh, the region and also raising funding. So the impact on the economy overall is evident. And it will continue to grow because, as you've mentioned earlier, uh, Rudy, the impact of COVID-19 has accelerated the uh, digitization initiative. I remember back in 2017 um, talking about the fintech and the most common question was, what is fintech? But today, when you go and meet with the financial institutions, they understand the impact. They understand the urgency, the priority of finding um, uh, the most efficient way to connect with these startups to build the partnership. Because that's the most efficient way to really target these issues. The, the startups will take time to build their customer base. The financial institutions will take a long time to build these technologies and solutions. So collaboration between the startups and the financial institutions will enable uh, the fastest access to market for these uh, technologies. And we continue to see the interest uh, growing in those partnerships and continue to support it as uh, the industry. Thank you. And I'm sure there's a big role. And now later on, I just want to ask a question to all my panelists. How many fintechs do they have? So we can have maybe a round total of uh, numbers. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll discuss this later on. Anoha, uh, where do you think uh, fintech stands in the Egyptian economy and any governmental initiatives towards 
the knowledge economy in specific and fintech economy uh, in uh, more specifying the, the economy structure of it. Because I've seen, we have, uh, Egypt is kind of, uh, we've seen strategies for the 2030 and so on, but we have, I have not seen personally anything related to uh, the fintech uh, world. Maybe you can uh, shed more light. If we look at the initiatives that happened only during the past two years, like 2019 and uh, the year 2020, you would find four regulations, one covering digital money and all that's, uh, another fintech regulation as an amendment to the banking law to enable fintech uh, startups, a third one related to digital insurance, enabling uh, onboarding and servicing customers via digital uh, platforms in comparison to uh, brick and mortar branches and last but not least the authentic regulation that is about to be launched by the FRA in order to enable alternative uh, financing models such as peer-to-peer lending and uh, crowdfunding. If you look at initiatives carried out by the central bank alone you'd find the launch of the authentic strategy in the year 2019 then uh, the launch of our own sandbox that is mainly focused on uh, fintechs that is currently about to accept its uh, uh, second core. You'd find uh, uh, a government fund that is focused on uh, investing in fintech startups at such early stage to close in the funding gap that is present in the Egyptian market within uh, the seed and the pre-seed series. And that's only the initiatives that are made by the government. If you look at publicly owned banks and privately owned banks, you would find that three out of the biggest banks in the region putting together fintech funds, whether it's Bank of Master, whether it's CIB, whether it's the Bank of Egypt. And all those are initiatives to grow and support the fintech uh, ecosystem. Well, I'm, I'm really glad to highlight that. I mean, if you'd given me a bit ahead of like prior notice, I would have properties that are happening within the fintech ecosystem. Right now, I'm just speaking on like from the top of my mind, but there are a lot of activities happening. We started five, six years ago. Together, yeah, we put together the very first fintech accelerator like six years ago, and it was in collaboration with the American University in Cairo. Right now, we started with fintechs operating in the payment. Now you have fintechs operating in the savings, the micro-savings. You have fintechs currently working on uh, uh, forms of uh, micro-lending. So the, the ecosystem is maturing at, at a pace that is actually pleasant to us all, the ones who are active within now. Uh, within the scene. Um, and actually, there are two comments that I wanted to comment on what Namir said, that it's really difficult to grow and have that uh, second generation of fintechs. Well, I tend to agree, but again, once a fintech can find that area of pain where uh, the financial service providers cannot close, uh, cannot satisfy, once there is a need for it in the market, they become really easy to enter the market, uh, sell their services, offer, and fail. Another comment that is very important on what uh, uh, Merna said that is very difficult now to find collaborations between fintechs and incumbent financial institutions, whether they're banks, uh, insurance companies, or even microfinance agencies. I tend to agree, but the reason for that is not 
because banks do not want to. It's mainly due to two uh, facts in here. The level of readiness at the end of banks, whether that readiness is technology readiness or corporate culture uh, readiness. And the other part is there is no regulation in the majority of the uh, Arab world that stipulates that banks have to cooperate or collaborate with fintechs in order to uh, uh, serve financial inclusion uh, of a finances extended to uh, unbanked, underbanked, or inadequately served uh, or served individuals or businesses. And this is where, if you look at uh, the UK and the European Union, you find the open banking, the PSD 1 and 2, and they are there just to make sure that fintechs step in and fill in the gap that actually is present within the performance of uh, uh, the financial service providers. I hope that has answered your question. It was, and it uh, enlightened me even more uh, because I've seen some minor initiatives, but now uh, you enlightened me about the major initiatives that is happening there because I've been a mentor to a couple of uh, uh, startups from uh, Egypt, and they are facing a lot of challenges, especially with the regulators, due to their the culture is still somehow uh, not there. But uh, thank you for uh, your comments and enlightening us uh, more about what's happening. Uh, Namir, uh, what do you think, what could the international affiliation of MENA Fintech Associations bring as an added value to the region? And where do you see the future of Fintech heading? See, practically a couple of things I would just list down, I mean, uh, right away instantly. One is that uh, having when you're having an international alliance, um, a couple of things you do with this. First thing is uh, the regulatory best practices that you bring into the region. You try to basically learn from the uh, from the implementations of other of other hubs and other regulators who may have uh, implemented, uh, let's say, a certain aspect of a certain vertical. So let's say if you're talking about uh, regulations, and Singapore is certainly is, you know one one jurisdiction you could look up to. Simultaneously, if you're looking for crypto asset framework as well, once again, basically do cross border learnings. With, uh, with Singapore and uh, other different uh, jurisdictions too. Simultaneously, for open banking, you have uh, you, you can certainly look into what South America has done, right? So uh, one of the regulatory best practices, and just giving you an example, the second thing is that uh, eventually you have trade wings. Uh, trade wings are critical and important. So eventually you want to bring business into the region, correct? So when, you have, when a fintech expands into the region, it brings with it capital. Right or it raises capital for the region. At the same time, you're bringing in more business and more business, not just to uh, bring the platform into the country, but or into the region. But you're giving up access to an overall 22 country market that you have over here in, in the MENA region. At the same time, the other thing that you're also doing uh, with those international alliances is also, you know, when you're doing these trade wings or when you're working on the trade side, it benefits economy significantly. Right. So you don't just have, like I said, a platform coming in, but when the platform comes in, it, it does employment, it uh, brings in uh, capital with it. And thirdly, most importantly, the other thing that we're also doing uh, with these uh, international alliances typically and why it's critical is to bring in more quality fintechs coming into the region. Now, we do have realized, for example, uh, now we have great uh, fintechs coming in, homegrown fintechs coming in from the region itself. But typically, the initial stance was to bring in quality fintechs into the into the region. They expand into the region. 
and they get their roots in. So typically, this is how these 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 international wings operate, and this is where the international alliances come in. I'll give you a small example. Lately, we we had the session uh, with the Lord Mayor of London, the Mayor of London, and the, the session was typically more around uh, with with ten leading fintechs of UK, right? So we had the VCs plus we had the fintechs of UK, and the main agenda was how to enable them to expand into the region. Right. So this is usually the uh, efforts of any international alliance that uh, not just us, but any other association that would be doing over here as well. Yes. Thank you. Uh, Mohammed, a uh, question about Startup Bootcamp. It's a global initiative in many countries. So how will this initiative, which is now in the Middle East, drive even more fintech initiatives, drive more funding and help the international collaboration and also help the region economy? So it's a, it's a two-way street, basically. So one, by establishing ourselves here in Dubai as the FinTech Accelerator with partnership with the regulator, with the corporate, with the banks, uh, Visa, Mashrik, and the, the IFC. One, we're attracting companies from around the world, from other startup bootcamp accelerators internationally. So we're technically present in the, most of the hubs, the fintech hubs in the world. So we're in London, we're in Singapore, we're in, uh, uh, we're I think uh, in a couple of other places, and and we share pipeline uh, when we when we have any program running in any country, we share we share pipeline. So. Uh, me as uh, as the accelerator in Dubai I have access to the fintech that are applying to other programs or that want to move from London to Dubai, let's say, or from Singapore to Dubai. So, for example, now we have uh, for the upcoming cohort, we have one company coming from London, one come from Malaysia, one from Hong Kong, and one from Singapore. In addition to the companies that are already established here, and mostly are are um, are expats. So that's that's the first direction. Also, once um, for the companies here and that joined the program also, um, we offer them the opposite direction. So uh, a company based in Dubai who wants access to the French market or the, the, the English market, we facilitate these connections and help them connect with these offices in order to expand that market. So uh, both ways. And, and in a lot of cases, some of the fund companies outside, they want to come into Dubai or they want to raise money from here. So in a way, we, we, are, we are supporting this, this highway, let's say, in both directions. I don't know if that answers your question. Or, yeah. Thank you. Raja, a question about the value that uh, FinTech Hive uh, is giving and the opportunities. How can people tap into these opportunities uh, how can they contact, who can they contact uh, website or whatever to try to bring new startups uh, in, the, in the market? So the DIFC continues to focus on attracting uh, the startups across all uh, tech sectors and in particular uh, the fintech. Our uh, website has a description of all the programs that we currently run either individually or in partnership with uh, other accelerators like uh, Startup Bootcamp. And uh, the opportunity is actually vast. You can look at uh, the programs we offer. We offer a startup um, uh, early stage uh, accelerator program, a growth stage accelerator program, a scale-up program for companies that are interested only in raising capital and uh, funding and expansion. In addition to the talent uh, development uh, programs that we uh, offer, whether it's the female accelerator, 
the female talent development accelerator or even the uh, aspire uh, talent accelerator that we are currently we've just launched with in partnership with startup bootcamp uh, the DIFC looks at the future of finance as a whole, and the fintech is one uh, driver of that. So the whole team is aware and prioritizing all of these conversations. We look at talent from all over the region to come and leverage on the ecosystem that we have built in the UAE for these companies to grow. They can have access to uh, regulation through the independent regulator of the DIFC, who are the DFSA. Uh, they have their own uh, regulatory program, uh, the innovation testing license, where they work with the startups, with the startups closely to understand that uh, technology and regulate it. Uh, they have access to business opportunities that are offered through uh, our partners. They have access to um, the supporting VCs and funds from the DIFC, and also a hundred million dollar fund. Uh, that is um, set up by the DIFC with a focus of investing in uh, fintech specifically. And I believe there is amazing talent in the region, in the Middle East specifically, and these um, uh, individuals will truly uh, benefit from the ecosystem that we have in the UAE that will enable uh, these ideas to come to life and go to market and create and nurture these companies here. Uh, Thank you. Uh uh, Mirna, what's the future roadmap of uh, Phoenix 22? And how can, if you want to talk to or address to the regulators, what do you need from them? Um, Awashi, let me talk to the talent uh, with us here on the call. And I realized that uh, 70% of uh, the audience is Lebanese and I'm Lebanese. And uh, I really want to see entrepreneurs succeeding. Whenever we run a hackathon or a challenge, please take this seriously. I know this is um, a program run by a bank. Yani when a bank says, I'm looking for, مثلاً, we have we have one by Bahrain Islamic Bank and we have one by uh, GIZ in collaboration with a few other players in the market. Whenever you apply to these, you know that half the job is done. So half your business development to enter into a bank, to partner with a bank is, is done. So please, we're doing this for you. We don't charge you anything. I mean, you you come and join the platform. You use the sandbox for free. You apply for the hackathons and challenges for free. You get accelerated for free. Please take advantage of this and try to set up companies. Try to be, try to turn your dream into a reality because this is all for you. You are the future. So this is number one that I have to say to the fintechs. The second thing is we are launching um, collaboration with the space in Saudi Arabia the Munshaat NCB um, accelerator in Saudi on the 1st of November. That's the plan. And I would encourage everybody from uh, the audience to really find a Saudi company and Saudi partner, a Saudi startup uh, to enter this accelerator because this is the, the, these are the accelerators that actually take you into the market. You get the funding, you get uh, to meet the banks, you get to work with the banks, you get closer to the regulators. Just like what Teresa is doing for the DIFC, these are all amazing efforts that are being put in place to support the fintechs. So don't wait for us to come and invite you to join. You should be waiting for these st- programs to uh, to start. And I know that Noha, we always have conversations and we talk about the amazing work that is being done in Egypt. And I personally, I think Egypt is by far, by far the market for fintech. I mean, if I get to move anywhere, I would go and sit in Egypt. Uh, financial inclusion, 
the, the, the demand, huge population. I mean, anything you do, if you do anything in fintech, you will definitely succeed because there is someone grabbing that opportunity. Banks are open. The central bank, I mean, when I was at Thomson Reuters in the old days, uh, we, used to, we used to wait years to get one thing changed in the regulations. Now we see regulations changed almost every month. And I know the team inside the central bank that is working on payments and data and EKYC and this and that. I mean, regulators are, are sometimes faster than the market. Trust me on that. They are becoming much faster than the market itself. And Egypt, I know that the, the banks are opening up. So don't, I mean, don't wait for someone to come and tell you, why don't you do this and that? Just keep an eye on, on the market and, um, and grab the opportunity. When it comes to regulators, we as Fintech Galaxy, we do a lot of work. We should be paid by the MENA Fintech Associations for the lobbying that we do. <laughs> we, do your, we do your job, Namir. We do a lot of lobbying, and it is uh, probably the most difficult job to understand the regulators, try to explain to them what the market needs, and try to make a difference uh, at that level. But, um, uh, yeah, and alhamdulillah, I have to say that we have built relationships over the years. It just didn't start with Fintech Galaxy. We've been doing this for years and years, and now it's only culminating to actually move the needle. I think, um, as I mentioned, Saudi is, is an amazing opportunity. Egypt is, is doing fantastic um, in terms of regulations. Bahrain is the testing bed for the whole region. I mean, you test in Bahrain and then you go everywhere else. Use that as your testing bed. And of course, the UAE once, uh, DIFC and ADGM and the central bank, they merge into one overarching fintech unit, which is uh, maybe Raja can say a bit more about that, but I know that it's happening. They're creating this fintech unit. Then the UAE becomes a much easier environment to deal with. So far, it's leading the, the region, but other markets are catching up uh, heavily on that. True. I think uh, today the UAE is the number one region, according to the report. It is. It is. It is. It's leading in the market. And this brings me a question to Noha about the unbanked people, banking the unbanked. What do you have as uh, uh, ideas and uh, how do you, do you approach this? Thank you very much for the question, Rudy. Well, it's, it's a huge opportunity within the Egyptian market. The fact that you have um, 60% of the Egyptian population uh, within the age uh, range of between like 16 and, uh, and 40, and the fact that the uh, percentage of unbanked, whether on the side of micro and small businesses or the individuals, is one of the highest in the region, that represents a huge, huge opportunity for fintech startups. We are working on uh, building that ecosystem eventually to uh, improve the, the financial inclusion within the country. We want fintech startups to start working with incumbent banks to, act, to customize and custom make products, financial services that suit the needs of the unbanked or the underbanked uh, in Egypt. Something that banks and insurance companies haven't done uh, since they started, not because that they are bad, but because they had a better business opportunity that costs less. Uh, reaching and customizing uh, solutions to uh, uh, 
a market segment that has such thin profit margins is is not exactly the business case that you can run by uh, boards and raise uh, budgets to, to execute. So this is how it's always been. With the advancement of technology and the emerging tech startups who are currently mainly at disintegrating the value chain of services offered by banks, insurance companies, and microfinance uh, companies focusing on one uh, service, being agile on the ground, uh, reaching unbanked and underbanked scaling is what we are uh, counting on. And that's our attempt to actually uh, tackle financial uh, inclusion issues, the financial inclusion issues that we have in the country. And you have all the government agencies, you have all uh, academia, you have venture capital funds, you have telcos playing an important role as well, all supporting that uh, uh, idea of using fintechs as an enabler uh, or as a vehicle and emerging technologies as enablers to business models that are inclusive uh, by nature. Thank you. And this uh, brings another question uh, to Namir to pick up on <laughs> Mirna's comment. How can you help uh, the fintechs accelerate, not accelerators, the fintechs companies more? What do they need more? Are you tapping into this? I'm sure you are. You're going to share with us now. Huh? Yes. So typically when you're trying to tap onto an issue or a point, uh, for example, if it's, let's say, if we're speaking of, you know, let's pick up something that's being discussed right now and that's happening, open banking, right? So open banking is once again something where the regulations are picking up. Uh, open banking is a place where now the regulators are looking into it very carefully. And uh, I mean, one of the recent surveys that we have conducted, uh, almost uh, 12 central banks are very, very extremely keen on implementing open banking solutions, but then how do you address the opportunity? Now, when you're addressing the opportunity, typically you need to understand how you tap onto it. You just, you just can't jump onto an opportunity just like that and say that, you know, we I'm, I'm doing something into open banking. So after a recent uh, work that we have done, we were able to identify different asset classes where the central banks are looking into. So, you know, it's not just a payment cycle we're looking into. We're looking into KYC, we're looking into loan settlements, we're looking into uh, digital onboarding in multiple funds. So when you are working on such bridging the gap sort of an angle, you need to be very specific in terms of what is the, the low-hanging fruit you need to focus on, right? What is really imperative for the region? Simultaneously, the other thing is that uh, when you're looking into the low-hanging fruits on what you need to focus on, what is more implementable as well? It's not just it's a low-hanging fruit and you just execute it. I mean, is it really executable or is infrastructure ready right now? So that's what you need to identify along with the regulators too. So for example, in some nations, I can't name the country, but typically the intentions are there to execute, but the, the, the technological framework is not yet ready to implement open banking. Just giving you a hyper, you know, just giving you a real uh, life example. So the central bank is working on its, uh, on its initial, uh, you know, payment modernization framework for the next six months. And then after that, the focus is going to be towards it. So these are those things that you're able to identify when you 
are able to sit with the regulators, sit with the central banks and identify the key issues you need to focus on. When you identify the key issues, then the relevant players make the relevant tweaks. So if you're doing something in Bahrain, if you're doing something in uh, Saudi, if you're doing something in UAE, the, the strategy may differ for all of these fintechs typical to what it's going to be in just, in just one jurisdiction. The other issue that then typically comes into play is when you're enabling them is standardization. There's no standardization in our region as of yet, right? So if there's no standardization, like I said, uh, the strategy for each and every single country needs to be a lot more tweaked and a lot more personalized as per the region. So Rudy, I mean, uh, in terms of uh, what, what needs to be done and how you need to do it, yes, uh, primarily you need to understand what vertical and most importantly in that vertical, what is that specific uh, pain point that you are trying to address? And is that pain point that you are trying to address relevant or a requirement of that specific country itself? Otherwise, it is a very difficult sell to just bring in an open banking solution or any other solution for any of the vertical and, and, and basically implement it. For example, when another example would be one of our key players is TransferWise, right? So we had an initial discussion and, you know, I mean, I mean, the point is that typically it, it, it am I there? Because I see myself. So basically, it, it's, it's all about understanding the specific issues for every single vertical and then being able to address it. Otherwise, you just can't go to the regulators and say that just, you know, please approve this. It just can't, it just can't happen. So um, it needs a lot of effort, as Minda mentioned. It needs uh, constant hammering. It needs constant dialogue and discussions. Thank you for that, Namir. And then I will go to uh, Raja. And since you are operating under the FIC, as, and the FIC is a regulator, how can this help or create a new, what, what do you want to call it, uh, a new strive for new regulations, facilitate the regulations, maybe even make them faster in adoption or in, because you know, uh, the disruption happens much faster than the regulation or the regulator. So will this help the facilitation of regulation uh, under uh, the FIC? We'll continue with, sorry, with Mohammed. Mohammed, how many startups you have? Currently, you said, uh, I think you have a new uh, session that is starting. What's the majority of them? They're trying to solve which problem? So overall, in terms of fintechs in the region, I think we crossed the 40, 45 startups now with the current cohort. So we just recruited the new 10 companies that will start the new cohort mid-November. And for this cohort, actually, we tried to shift the focus a bit. In the last cohort, I know I can tell you, the first cohort was about payments, was about peer-to-peer transfer, this kind of things. The second cohort was more B2C and different solutions, not, not, no real, not nothing specific in terms of focus. What we tried to do for this cohort is diversify a bit. So uh, I can tell you we got... Um, we had we were interested in RegTech, a lot of the companies that are trying to decipher regulation for, for smaller companies and try to help them navigate these, uh, these, these regulations and the regulation aspect of their operations. Uh, we focus a lot on InsurTech. We try to bring in companies that are operating under in the insurance vertical, and we successfully got two companies actually in the scoreboard that we will announce, I think, in a couple of we- in, uh, two weeks. We tried also to shy away a bit from B2C companies and move towards B2B. We see a lot of the solutions now focused on fintechs for, for consumers direct. 
but uh, we we, th- we sometimes tend to forget that there's a lot of other verticals that we're not serving well properly at least. So uh, we're doing uh, corporate uh, spend management, we're doing uh, captain markets, uh, all of these solutions that we haven't seen a lot of startups in the region tackling them. We try to bring them in into the region uh, or or support the startups that are coming up with their ideas in these different sectors. So. Um, in summary, we try to get insure tech, direct tech, and then a bit of capital markets and B2B solutions for, for this cohort. Uh, and I think the market needs this kind of solution going forward. And uh, so we're going to start rounding up. Uh, Nuha, what do you have as final thoughts about panel and uh, about fintech? So uh, we can start concluding. Well, thank you very much, Rudy, for the chance to be here. If we want to sum up everything that's been said in uh, today... Fintech is the new reality of the financial industry within the foreseeable future, the way uh, banks, insurance companies, uh, microfinance institutions, leasing companies, the way they do business is going to change significantly. And I'm not just talking about uh, the the business models they adopt uh, or the uh, delivery channels. I'm also talking about their operating models on the ground are going to change significantly thanks to corona of course and many other uh, factors that that are related to the change in consumer behavior and preferences of the new generation uh, uh, z banks or financial institutions that are not going to start changing now and to do it uh, quickly are not are, are going to cease to exist within five to seven years from now, because the rate and the pace of the evolution is accelerating as we speak. Fintech startups have a huge opportunity to generate uh, value. Of course, we're encouraging them to, to, to try, to use all the resources that are uh, availed around the Arab world. Uh, you have activities happening uh, all over. You have wonderful ladies like Mirna, Raja, and, and other ladies uh, around the region who are taking initiatives to make sure that the financial industry will become inclusive. And gentlemen, of course, but luckily, uh, women are inclusive uh, uh, by nature. We do not leave anybody out and we do not leave any man behind. And that's who we are. So you see all those initiatives are mainly managed managed and driven by ladies. Of course, I'm a happy person that this is uh, uh, a fact. So I encourage startups to take all the opportunities, use all the resources there, and always remain focused on their customers to provide value. You are going to grow and uh, succeed. That's it. Thank you very much. Thank you for that. Anamir, can you please also share with us uh, your thoughts? So my my point would be very simple and very uh, basic. Uh, see, the thing is, uh, the, 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 the way where the fintech industry is heading towards where we are going towards right now in the region, let's also understand the fact that this uh, region that we're operating in is, in terms of 5G deployment, it, it leads globally, right? So that that's a major, major, major sign where the industry is heading towards and how ready we are as consumers, how ready we are as uh, consumers of financial services. Despite the fact we have the highest rate of 5G deployment, 
yet we face the issues of two major issues. Either we are underbanked or either we are overbanked, right? Yet, at the same time, the financial services, uh, you know, solutions may not be up to the mark. So therefore, I, if I look into the key angles of uh, the opportunity, it has been there. I mean, we have been talking about it for numerous years that the opportunity in MENA is way beyond any other region. That's there and that's evident. However, the underlying fruit that I would see over here, I mean, the main, the main you know, action point that I would see right now in the region is number one, going to be remittances. And it's certainly going to pick up more and more. Let's also understand the fact that in the region, we have so many cross-border remittances happening, uh, yet the region is not you know, completely tapped onto this specific segment. Uh, let's also understand the fact that after US, Saudi and UAE are the countries that have been uh, doing the major amount of remittances and the largest sending countries in the world. Uh, yet the remittance business is uh, still you know, led by the incumbent. So once again, it's a major, major market to tap onto. Uh, payments remains a very, very extremely important place. Uh, financial inclusion again is tapped onto by multiple, multiple segments, which includes uh, remittances as well, which also includes payments to uh, micro lending. Egypt is definitely a market for micro lending. And any market that has financial inclusion issues, micro lending is certainly a thing that's picking up. Now, when we talk about micro lending, it's not just focused on the emerging markets such as Egypt, uh, where you have financial inclusion issues, but also for markets such as the UAE, where you have micro lending products such as buy now, pay later, BNPLs are there almost like in, in most of the markets, right? So BNPL is there in um, also in Egypt, just launched by Alpha Them as well. You have all you also have BNPL being launched over here in UAE and simultaneously in Saudi as well. So you see, uh, the space is specific to these uh, angles. I think that this uh, humongous opportunity. Just just make sure, as as I mean, my, my my point over here, if I'm rounding it up for the fintechs, would be that just make sure that you understand or you have someone that you speak to when it comes to regulations. That is critical and that's key. Right. No regulator in the market right now is going to permit anything that has been unexplored. They would always want to see that whether this regulation is going to be a hindrance in terms of the con uh, in, in terms of the consumer rights. So for that, you need to be I mean, you don't want to be shot down instantly by after launching the product because uh, the regulations don't permit. So please make sure you do your homework up and down in every possible way. It is great to have a great product. It is great to have people bucking you up. But if you do not comply, if the regulations are not something that is going to support you, if there is any gray area, there are high, high chances, and I'm being very blunt, high chances that you will be left nowhere. So before building up your tech, because the tech is a major investment, right? When you're building up your tech, just make sure that you also study the regulations very clearly there's a lot of fine print in the regulations and for that you need people who understand the regulations so understand the regulations as you build your product you don't want to be in a position where you put a lot of money in and then you're like man this was my market and now i can't do it so uh, these are some of the things that i would uh, ideally would want to recommend there's so much more but uh, i would leave the rest for my other participants and other colleagues to basically address but i'm happy to help in terms of regulations um, happy to help in terms of any advice that is needed in terms of understanding the regulations specific to our countries. Uh, happy to do that. Uh, please feel free to reach out and uh, thank you, Rudy, for arranging the session uh, and I look forward to participating more um, in terms of supporting whosoever we can. Thank you. Thank you, Namir. Uh, I just want to discuss the last uh, poll. 
which if you are an entrepreneur, are you thinking of creating uh, fintech startups? We have here 27% of our audience already, they have done them. So they are creating, they are thinking about it 14%. In ideation phase, 23% and 14% not interested and the rest is not an entrepreneur. So we have uh, around 40% of our audience who is thinking about, and this is where I think the panel can help a lot and advances your ideas and then now we have a selection uh mirna uh, i wish Dereja is here i don't know what happened we'll uh, we'll try to get her back now also if you can start concluding and uh, your final words uh basically i mean noha and uh, and namir said it all what i want to add is uh, one simple thing people uh, underestimate the power of networking And uh, this is one thing that I keep telling everybody, startups and uh, entrepreneurs, that um, build your network, attend as many calls and uh, events and webinars, uh, go through training, because you never know when you will need certain people that you thought you never needed them. And it's very awkward and hard to build a relationship when you need something from someone. So build a relationship when you don't need it. Build it just for learning and for connecting and and for understanding other markets or other you know players in the market. And when you need this relationship, you will find it ready for you. And this is something from firsthand experience. Uh, technology itself, I mean, you can build any technology for $50,000. It doesn't take you more than that. But network and relationships and the trust in the market and um, the name in the market, it takes you millions and millions to even scratch the surface. So um, do that, invest a lot of time on relationships, never burn bridges, always look beyond, always look at what you can give before what you take. There's always something that you can add to the table that people might need. Uh, Join as mentors. If you are bankers and you want to go into startup scene, join as mentors, help the startups understand banking, and then they will help you build your startup. There's always something that you can give and take. And of course, I mean, with the work that Noha and Namir and Muhammad and Raja, everybody is playing an amazing role. And this is a region where opportunities are abundant. And the best, the best, the best startups ever were created during the times of crisis. I am, the, the financial crisis in 2008 and 9 created all the startups that we see today. The Ubers and the BM people, the What's the name of that thing? <laughs> Dabi. No, Afterpay. Afterpay. No, not that. Which one? Uh, so, so basically, all the major startups were created during uh, that phase. And even the MasterCards of the world were created after major crisis uh, that happened. Airbnb. In- hmm? Airbnb. Airbnb. So, uh, Airbnb. yeah, yeah. So Airbnb. I thought you were saying BNPL. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it's 8 p.m. I'm uh, done for the day. Yes. Thank <laughs> you. Thank you. for your time. Uh, Muhammad, can you also round it up? Uh, last final words. Please, Muhammad. I think everybody agrees on the common theme. The opportunities are huge. Uh, there's so many problems. There's so many challenges to be solved. And my, my recommendation is to not to focus on certain specific vertical, just like keep your open mind, keep an open mind for the startups, I mean, 
uh, explore opportunities, explore challenges all over. I mean, there could be to C or B 2 B or there's like eight or nine sub verticals in fintech, and then go after these. There's an opportunity in each one of these uh, uh, industries or verticals. So uh, and um, yeah, I mean, just keep it short. That's uh, that's my advice. Uh, Rudy, one thing I would like to add. Additional just uh, is going to be that when you uh, for everyone when you're setting up your platforms, uh, the critical thing to understand is uh, one thing. That is, don't make early emo. You know, um, I've done this myself as well, and I've seen many fintechs and many startups suffer after that big time. That is, don't make emotional decisions when you're setting up your company. 